Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon. It's a holiday weekend. John Suntress here. We got great comic book conversation for you all weekend long. And uh, for the driving or plane trip or whatever kind of trip you might be on this holiday weekend, uh, for the trip out, we've got Dan Jurgens to talk about uh, his current run in Action Comics with uh, Patrick Zercher on Superman. Uh, the real Superman is back. And yes, I stress the real Superman. Sorry, fans of the new 52 Superman who had the uh, V-neck collar and the weird haircut and uh, just didn't feel like Superman, really, from the start of the new 52. And uh, I'm glad that uh, there's been a course correction at DC in a very interesting way to bring back the pre-Flashpoint Superman, uh, the Superman of Crisis on Infinite Earths, the guy who married Lois Lane. They even had a baby uh, during Convergence last year. And a uh, much more interesting story than the pouty uh, young guy that uh, I liked the beginning of the story. I liked when, when Grant Morrison uh, retold the origin of Superman through action with Rags Morales. But somewhere along the line, uh, it, the, the, the adventures lost their way. And I got to tell you, I just wasn't relating to this uh, new 52 Superman. And uh, given how sales had dropped, I think I wasn't alone. DC Rebirth happens. Uh, Convergence happens last year. We get that excellent Lois and Clark miniseries that Dan wrote, uh, which was wonderful. And it was like, oh, there he is, as I tell Dan in our conversation. But uh, interesting mystery. Because um, Superman is back. The new 52 Superman is dead. Doomsday seems to be back. Lex has picked up the Superman mantle and kind of augmented his battle suit to look like a super suit with the, with the S emblem. Even has uh, Superman's cape, which I assume no one will tug on. And uh, then all of a sudden, Superman and Lex are fighting uh, a new Doomsday, or at least the Doomsday of this world. And Superman certainly remembers what happened to him with Doomsday in his world, resulting in his uh, temporary death. Um, so I think, you know, he's certainly concerned. And all of a sudden, as Jimmy's watching the scene, Clark Kent steps up next to him. And it seems to be Clark Kent. So this is a very interesting puzzle. Who are all these guys? Uh, Dan kind of lays out some more clues for us. We talk about the Superman run and just have an excellent conversation. I'm always happy to have Dan back, as I say in the introduction, because he's always been one of my favorite artists and one of my favorite writers and was one of those guys behind the death of Superman and really fleshed out the character of Doomsday uh, beyond that death of Superman story. Wrote a lot of tremendous Superman stories in that late 80s through the 90s period and... Um, it's just a perfect fit. And Pat Searcher is doing a great job on art as well. And uh, I love the book. I love what Pete Tomasi is also doing in the regular Superman book. Uh, it's a good time if you're a Superman fan. And I'm happy to welcome Dan back to Word Balloon to talk about it on this edition. Today, it's brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. And the reason why we're talking about that is they have a lot of new trades of Dan Jurgens writing and drawing Superman. And it's wonderful to see some of these great 90s stories back in print. Let's dwell on some Dan Jurgens product that is available now at InStockTrades.com. Before I get to some Superman stuff, how about uh, Thor by Dan Jurgens and John Romita? Wonderful stuff. Volume 4 is 45% off. It's $16.49. And we even briefly mentioned uh, uh, Dan's Thor run. Uh, on this Word Balloon episode. How about Captain America by Dan Jurgens? Uh, that uh, trade paperback volume two, also 45% off, $16.49. Uh, I see volume two and volume one 
Volume 2 of uh, Thor by Jurgens and Ramita. Volume 1 of Captain America by Jurgens also available. Also at that $16.49 price at InStockTrades.com. But on to the Superman product. There are things like Superman and the Justice League of America, Trade Paperback Volume 1, 45% off, $9.89. Rich Burchett is uh, among the artists uh, working with Dan. Uh, but also Dan does his own stuff in that Superman trade. There's also uh, Dan and uh, Chris Batista and other artists working on Superman Doomsday. The trade paperback is 45% off, $10.99. You can get Superman Panic in the Sky, a new edition. What a great story. Brainiac, uh, the, the Justice League, War World, uh, lots of interesting stuff in that great Superman story, Panic in the St- Sky, 45% off, $10.99. And 99 cents. Just the tip of the iceberg of some of the Dan Jurgens product you can find at InStockTrades.com. And don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping. They do a tremendous job of uh, packing the stuff and giving you great books at great prices. Check them out at InStockTrades.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League. Your uh, ranks continue to expand via Patreon. Uh, A bunch of new Patreon people this month. Thank you very much for your support. I really do appreciate it, especially with convention time coming up. Makes it easier to travel to the shows and make the new connections with uh, new guests to Word Balloon. And uh, we can expand our library of great comic book conversation thanks to the proceeds uh, from the League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is free, but if you want to help the cause and want to support Subscribe to Word Balloon. If you go to the front page of wordballoon.com, you will see uh, the Patreon ad there. If you click on that, it will take you to my Patreon page. If you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, think about it. Today's comic books, $4, even $5 an issue. Can you spare a buck a month for the hours of conversation I bring you for Word Balloon each month? I I hope so. I I think it it adds to the uh, experience of uh, collecting and enjoying the stories. And uh, think of us as the audio commentary to uh, some of your favorite books and classic runs and classic creators. So if you want to help the cause out, if you can afford even a dollar a month, that would be great. Some people have done more this month, and I really do appreciate that. So thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your uh, patronage through Patreon. Go to wordballoon.com and uh, click on the Patreon ad or the tab to some videos. Or if you want, go directly to patreon.com slash wordballoon, and uh, you can contribute there as well. Thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Without further ado, let's get right to our interview with Dan Jurgens talking about Superman and more. Always a pleasure to welcome Dan back to Word Balloon. Always happy to welcome Dan Jurgens back to Word Balloon because I've been a longtime fan and it has only been exciting these 11 years of Word Balloon to get to know Dan at conventions and be able to tell him face-to-face how much I enjoy his work. And that continues with uh, this excellent run that's happening in Action Comics. It's only a couple issues uh, old. And I can't tell, Dan, because you wrote, uh, first of all, welcome, and thanks for coming back. Glad to be here, John. And this week, uh, the uh, the uh, Action uh, Comics, and I forget what, 900, 958, I want to say? Yep, 958. There we go. And Justice League 52 came out, and you wrote Justice League 52. Are you going to be the regular Justice League writer, or was that to bridge this Superman story? No, that was just to bridge the story, and it's one of those things that came up a little bit late in the game, and what we had really hoped to be able to do is get that story out actually before Action 957. Unfortunately, we didn't get it done, so... Uh, what we do ask people to do is to just keep in mind that that story in Justice League 52 takes place before Action 957. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people saw 
Lex in the battle suit, and all of a sudden the battle suit has the Superman logo, and, you know, Diamond solicits and stuff kind of telegraphed a bit of what was going on. I have to admit, I was surprised. I mean, it was fun to read that, you know, there was going to be the uh, pre-Flashpoint uh, Superman, uh, Lex in a super suit, and then Clark Kent showing up, and I just kind of assumed that the new 52 Superman wasn't going to die but be depowered in some way and that he would kind of continue life as Clark Kent. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting, but this isn't that guy. Right. Absolutely not. <laughs> so that's kind of and, fun. Yeah, and we'll actually be exploring that a lot more because um, obviously the question of who is this Clark Kent is, is really designed to fuel us for quite a while. And I think we have a lot of fun stuff to play with there. And, you know, not the least of which is going to be, you know, Superman's conversations with him. Because on the one hand, Clark <laughs> will be there, you know, absolutely trying to convince Superman, I am Clark Kent. Well, what this Clark doesn't know is this Superman is Clark Kent. So that's just going to set up all sorts of fun coming up. Absolutely, man. No, that's fantastic. And, I, you know, I told you this, or at least you saw me tweet and say on social media that uh, last year, uh, and I meant it, and I still mean it and stuff. Lois and Clark was the best Superman book that was being written last year because it was really – it was so great to see um, after Convergence and everything. It was like, oh, there he is. There's our hero. There's our, there's our guy that we grew up with and everything. And, um, I, you know, we talked while you were doing uh, New 52 Superman in the past. Mm -hmm. But looking back, is there – you know, what do you think didn't work? Because clearly it didn't work, and it had to change. That's why we've got this new editorial direction, not only for the line, but specifically for Superman. So what do you think didn't work as far as the new 52 Superman? I, I think it was a couple of things. And one of the things I looked at, and this even was true when I was writing it, I'd say, you know, does this feel like Superman to me? And I don't know that it ever really did. And part of that is because... When we think of what Superman really is about and the, the characters are around him, and, um, you know, I think that link to Lois Lane is, is one that you just really can't put aside. Sure. And with the new 52 Superman, we kind of put that one aside. Uh, I, I think that's a part of it. And I just think there is a certain... I, I speak of it visually somewhat, John, in that when I draw Superman, I try and convey a certain sense of quiet majesty and nobility in the character. And and I think that's always important. And I don't even think that was necessarily present in the new 52 Superman. And some of that is even because the hair was different and the uniform was different. Yep. So that just, you know, it became a different feeling character. Heath Corson pointed out to me just at C2E2, this last C2E2, and he's like, his neck is covered up, and it didn't even occur to me. But he's like, I'm like, you know, you're right. And yep. doing that, isn't that ridiculous? That just the fact that he didn't have that exposed neck, which gave him and his when you took his uh, the way he looks from his shoulders up, the bust and everything. I mean, that really is an important part of Superman's anatomy. The neck needs to be there, exposed for us to really. I think it brings that kind of regal look. And you're right; I agree as well as the the haircut change. It's like, come on, man, the Spit Girl. Everybody loves the Spit Girl. Come on. Yeah, and you know, and I think the other part of it is there's a certain brightness to the character, and you know, it's even as as subtle as when I. So if we go back to the start of the New Fifty Two, even when I was drawing the book. 
you know, and a lot of people don't think of this, but it's true, Superman has a nest shield on his cape as well. Mm-hmm. And with that particular version of Superman, it went black. And I think it needs to be yellow, <laughs> which sure. is, you know, historically what it's always been. It adds a dimension of brightness to the character that goes right to the core of who the character is. And if you deviate from that, then I think you're deviating from Superman himself. When uh, Nicholas Scott uh, had new designs for the New Earth 2 versions of all the characters, I liked her Superman costume better because also the yellow was there in the belt. And I mm-hmm. do, and, yeah. I, and I mean, you know, I, I, as I'm sure you feel as well, I had no problem with the, the underwear outside of the, the tights because, of course, we understand what cir- circus acrobats look like. And it wasn't right. that weird to us as it is to maybe younger people. But, yeah, it, you really miss that yellow in the belt. To, to contrast with the, with the red and the blue and everything. And, and just, I, I think you're right in terms of maybe it is subconsciously that brightness and that, that kind of, you know, I don't know, purity or whatever that, that comes through with that color scheme. Yeah, it's all true. And I think, you know, there's a certain school of color theory which says, you know, you can't just take, and if you apply this to a costume, and put that splash of color in only one space because it then is isolated, it seems, out of place. So, yeah, I think the yellow on the belt is crucial. I think the yellow in the S-shield is crucial, and certainly on the back of the cape. So you've got to make sure you hit at least two out of the three. Can you tell us, without spoiling where this story is going, any sort of origin with that Lois and Clark miniseries that led to where we are now in terms of, you know, how that how that all came about? In terms of, you know, how did it come about as a project at D.C.? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very simply, when we had done Convergence, um, in that story, Clark and Lois had a baby. Mm-hmm. And the one of the conversations became then after that, well, what do we do with this? And what happens to the baby and where does he go? And I remember, you know, uh, telling Dan to deal at one point, this child is about possibility. This child is about the future. And, and that's kind of as far as I went with it. And then one day, uh, Dan called me up and he said, so I've always wanted to do a book called Lois and Clark. Here's your shot. Do you want to do it? And I said, well, like you think I'm going to say no to that. Uh, and right away I said yes. And we, we started talking about what it would be and getting them as a family to this world, this DCU, and in, ingratiating them into the, our, our timeline and eventually taking the place of the new 52 Superman, if you will, and of introducing John much more as a 9- or 10-year-old type kid that would really be set up to become just what I had mentioned earlier, which is he's the future. And and I think that's the cool part about it. We get to see Lois and Clark married again, their parents, yet they each have their own things going. Um, But that's really – it kind of grew organically out of convergence, and then it was Dan who kind of made the push to go ahead with it. That's cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to – uh, Super Sons. It's already been telegraphed. I mean that that that's coming. And I was right. I was certainly a fan of the old uh, Bob Haney World's Finest uh, Super Sons stories because I was ten years old. And I oh, had, yeah, same here. You know, oh, there you go, man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we had no baggage. We're like, all right, whatever. You know. So that's that's fantastic. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it was it was fun. And certainly now, Damien and John will be very interesting when they meet, and I'm sure they'll have some very interesting conversations. Absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing is, um, even if we go back to those stories, I remember reading them and I was kind of like, I know I like this, 
but I don't quite understand why kind of thing. And, you know, both of the kids had some subtle aspects of sideburns going, which was really the only thing that made them seem younger because they wore the exact same costumes as Batman and Superman did. And I remember thinking even then, well, why don't they at least wear different costumes and look cooler, you know? <laughs> did you ever have a chance to uh, meet Bob Haney? I did not. I did not, I'm afraid. I wish I would have. Yeah, man. Uh, no, he really – it's funny because I really do think that if you haven't read the stories, it's easy to go, oh, you know, he did a lot of hokey stuff. And it's like, you know, he and Murray Boltonoff, and I hope I'm saying the name right. Yep, you that, are. Okay. You know, when they when they ran World's Finest and Brave and Bold and stuff, anything went, and it didn't matter. It was like – Okay, uh, Sergeant Rock. Yeah, we know he died with the last bullet of World War II, but I need a I need a modern day Sergeant Rock. So here he is, or Batman yeah. and Wildcat together. Yeah, I know Earth One and Earth Two. Who cares? They're together. Or even, or even giving um, someone a brother, which he did yes. with Bruce Wayne. Thomas, that's in, right. <laughs> yeah, in one of those stories, and and um, I just detour a little bit on when I had first started working at DC. So we're talking like 1981 or two. Okay. Uh, I was in the office one day, and Murray Boltonoff was still on staff. And so one day I kind of knocked on his office door. It was open, but I just kind of knocked on the door, and I walked in to introduce myself. And I was trying to tell him, you know, I really love some of that stuff. It was just great, and it made an impact on me. And he was just kind of looking at me. I think he thought I was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, I just had Bill Shelley on uh, talking about his Otto Binder book. Okay, and that generation, uh, those Silver Age guys. I mean, and and maybe it was true as well for the Golden Age guys. You know, it was a paycheck. They were just grinding the stuff out. And and, yeah. I, and don't get me wrong. I think, especially in the case of Otto Bender, great imagination and adding so much to the the Superman mythos and everything. Uh, creating, uh, co-creating Supergirl, the whole the whole nine yards. But. Um, yeah, I, I get that. And, I mean, that's the thing, because you're right, because we all are like, oh, my God, you created, you made so much cool stuff. And they're like, yeah, whatever, kid. <laughs> yeah, know? well, it's, that's kind of what it was, because I was even saying, you know, I, I really loved some of your books when I was a kid, and I, I even wrote in, and you printed some of my letters, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and, you know, he's trying to get a book out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's got this, this person, he has no idea who it is. And, yeah, I was drawing Warlord at the time, and I don't think that, you know, made any kind of particular dent in his, uh, you know, in his appraisal of me. So, yeah, but I did want to absolutely take that opportunity to explain to him, yeah, the stories you did, they made an impact on me. And those were one of the things I liked about him. And you touched on this, which was whether it was World's Finest or whether it was Brave and Bold, they were just, there's nothing you couldn't do. Yes. Batman and Commandy together? Why not? Absolutely. You know, it was yes. great. Yeah. yeah. No, and you're right. I mean, that's the thing, man. And there was no rules. And I, although I know the letter page always did have, hey, wait a minute, how can this happen? I mean, because right. even back then, fans were like that. And I always appreciated that explanation. It's like, yeah, you know something? Bob and Murray are kind of on Earth B. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's their world. And anything goes, and it's too late. We got to get the book out. So we're not going to yell at him or whatever. So. At least that's well, and as a, as a counterpoint, you know, one of the things that always frustrated me, because I grew up in a, in a small town and comic distribution was sporadic at best, and that's one of the problems I had with reading Marvels, which was, you know, I'd get chapter one, but whiff on chapter two of the story and, you know, be able to pick up, you know, the third part of it or whatever. But I felt like I was always missing something somehow. Well, you could pick up one of those books, you know, one of Murray or Bob Haney's books and... By God, you got the whole story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so one and done. It was great. 
Absolutely, man. So, and I might, we might have covered this territory before, but I don't think so. I was trying to think, who were your Superman writers and artists? Who were your favorites? Well, obviously, I'd have to start with Kurt Swan, um, just because visually he made such an impact on the books. And I remember, you know, even uh, prior to the Murphy Anderson inking days, uh, when George Klein was inking him, I would Mm -hmm. just look at it and say, wow, this is, this looks different to me, but it really, and this gets back to what I was mentioning earlier, Kurt Swan's Superman felt like Superman to me. And and it, it's all subtle stuff, John. It all works on a different sort of level. But an entire couple of generations of people really became convinced that that's what Superman looked like. That's how he should feel. Oh, yeah. And, and so you start with that. Uh, the writers in the 60s that obviously sort of transitioned into Elliot Megan and Carrie Bates later. And then, you know, after that, when Denny came in, Denny O'Neill to do, you know, like the Sandman, Superman and that kind of stuff, I would, you know, you're there through all of it. And it was Superman, so you had to keep reading. Absolutely, man. No, and I, you know, Bronze Age Superman was among my favorite Superman stories, Carrie Bates, Elliot Magan and stuff. And and looking back again, it's Otto Binder and Alvin Schwartz and all of his stuff that he did with Bizarro was really interesting. And also those other Superman artists. I mean, I agree with you. Um Kurt's the gold standard, Kurt Swan, absolutely. Yeah. But, it, you know, I always liked when Jim Mooney was drawing Superman or drawing uh, Legion stuff or Supergirl stuff, and Kurt Schaffenberger doing uh, uh, Lois Lane for as many years as he did and stuff. So, you know, right. you, you just kind of appreciated a lot of those those uh, Silver Age and, and early Bronze Age uh, writers and artists and stuff. Yeah, I you know, that was – well, and I guess every everyone's 10-year-old experience, that's their golden era. So it's clearly that was <laughs> that was ours. Yeah, it's true. And and one of the things I'm really glad about is that I did start working in the business at such a time that I could express that to those guys, <laughs> which I was, bet. you know, which is, it's it's like your dream come true to be walking through the hallway and someone stops you and says, well, here's so-and-so, and you just want to say, wow, wow gee, I'm, I can't believe I'm meeting you, you know, and that kind of thing. I yeah. went through that. Absolutely, man. No, I go through it on Word Balloon when I talk to Elliot, and Carrie Bates is a guy I've got to track down. Because even that last Elseworld story that he did a few years ago, that uh, where uh, Jor-El is able to save himself, Lara, and Clark, or and Cal, and then they have another child on Earth, and and it's this great, it was this great miniseries, and I know I I don't know if it was supposed to originally be a trade paperback, and they released it in in issues, but it was such a great authentic Superman story, and that's the thing. Even a couple of years ago, when they did, oh, and I'm forgetting the name of the event, the summer event. That probably led to the new Fifty Two, mm-hmm. and, and the flashback stuff. Yeah, and there was there was just some great like Elliot. Elliot did a Justice League story. Marty did a Superman story. Marty Pasco, and it was just like, oh, there these guys are, man. And there's there's the character the way they were back in the day, including Louise Simonson in the '90s and John Bogdanov doing a great you know version of of your guy Superman in the '90s and stuff. So yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, absolutely. So very cool stuff, man. No, I I, I couldn't agree more. Well, back to the present. I. Uh, I, you know, yeah, this is very intriguing. I mean, what do you, now? I, can I ask you? I, I'm going to ask you. Uh, what do you, what do you think of the Watchmen uh, entering the the DC universe? I mean, this is a, a big thing that we're all talking about. Are we sure that's what's happening? That's a fair answer as <laughs> that, well. That's as good an answer as you're going to get from me. <laughs> all right, there you go. Well, all right. Yeah, I appreciate that, and that's cool. And uh, you know, you can't you can't deny there are certainly uh, some telltale things when Batman's picking up the comedian's button. But yeah, you're right. right. Maybe it is a big fake out. We'll see what happens. It'll it'll be as long as it's a good story. I'm I'm cool with it as long as it's a good story. 
And I think that's what all these things boil down to, is that uh, one of the things that is kind of a pet peeve with me is story concepts and ideas that are dismissed out of hand by fandom long before they ever appear in print. And, and I do think that, you know, give the story a chance, see what it looks like, see how it reads, and then if you don't like it, fine. You spent your money. You have every right to feel that way. But I also think that uh, prior to something happening, you know, give it the shot. Sure. I mean, look across the street with the Captain America Hydra stuff. Exactly. Yeah, you know. Did you have any, what did you think when you saw that? You know, I just figured, okay, this is the first 20 pages or so of a story that is probably going to run 100, 120, something like that when it's all said and done with. I'll see where it goes. Sure. And and I think, you know, as I write, that's the reaction that I would want anybody who's reading it to have, that obviously there are a couple of twists and surprises coming down the road. And frankly, in this day and age, it's harder to build in those twists and surprises because we have an audience that feels, in many cases, like it's seen every possibility that's out there. So if someone can do that to me and get that reaction out of me, I want to see how it goes. Fair enough. How about the design of uh, Superman now with Rebirth? Did you have any input on that as an artist? I did not. I, uh, I remember sitting in a meeting saying, uh, you know, the thing that was important to me was getting something back to an idea that was a little more classic. Um, I wanted to make sure we went back to the old S-Shield. I remember saying, you know, on the back of the cape, it's got to be the yellow S-Shield. It can't be black because when it, we ink it in, it gets too lost and everything else. So uh, I think it was Pat Gleason who actually designed it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very good. I I like I certainly like it better than the new fifty two design. I uh, yeah you know I'm I, it's growing on me. It is and I mean again I liked it right away in terms of there's Superman's neck. He looked more like Superman. There's nothing wrong with a little upgrade, you right. know as long as you know it's a tweak and stuff. And it's enough. It's familiar enough, and I think enough of an upgrade that yeah I, I think it I think it works on a level that yeah was just too radical with the way uh, the new fifty two one. It's so funny I'll see in comic stores some of those mini busts and. You know, various paraphernalia with the with the new look for the new Fifty Two Superman, and it's just like, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. And also in your own story, uh, I don't know what's you know is is dead dead. Who the hell knows? It's comic books after all, and we've got that mysterious uh, hand glowing handprint that happened. Yep. In, was it in your issue or in uh, in uh, that was Pete? Oh, was it Pete's yep. issue? And I want okay. So I wanted to ask about that. Tell me about working with Pete and and kind of. Uh, choreographing things it's a is it a smaller it's a smaller writing group now because it's just you and pete writing superman as opposed to when Pac and gene and i think that wasn't there at least one other well certainly you were doing oh yeah well yeah certainly at at the apex i mean we had four books that were really tied in you know quite strongly together uh yeah right now we still have the four four books but it's two writers so pete is writing superman i'm writing action and we probably last got together, I think, in March out in Burbank. We sat down. We really – what we talked about more, I think, was character and how things were going to work that way because it was most important to be consistent um, just in the way we were going to portray Clark, Lois, and John and, and to deal with them as a family unit. Here's where they're going to live. This is going to be sort of the core of the book and how it will work. Once we got that really made sure we were all on the same page there, then we could start to branch into story more and, and break it out. And rather than be tied in 
so strongly together like we were back in the day. Um, we're going to work it more so that the, the characterization is consistent, the stories are consistent with one another, but Pete will tell his and I'll tell mine. So, for example, if you've been reading Pete's Superman story, uh, Superman Rebirth came out, then it's action, you know, the first action arc, which then leads into Superman 1 and their first arc. And it'll all make sense, I promise. I, I believe it. Okay. <laughs> and, so far, <laughs> and so far it has and everything. And, no, I, I think it's great. Hey, uh, boy, it doesn't suck having Pat Zercher on your book. No, it doesn't. He's fantastic. And I had actually gotten a chance to work with him on New 52 Future's End uh, about a year and a half awesome. or so ago. Yep. And um, when we started looking around for guys to, super, to draw Superman in action, he was one of the guys I specifically asked for because one of the things Pat did so well in, in Future's End is he could draw the big stuff. There were some scenes he drew of of, of Brainiac as a sort of a giant in New York City that were just fantastic. And so he could also draw the small character stuff. And I kept saying, you know, this is a book where we have to really be able to relate to, especially the main three, Clark Lewis and John as characters, and get that sense of emotion communicated. And then I need somebody who can really do the big action stuff. And he excels at that, and he's just been doing a fantastic job. That's excellent. I want to pick up on Future Zen because... I have a feeling it's going to tie into, or maybe not, but we're going to talk about Batman Beyond. And I know it hasn't out yet, but I know you've got that brewing uh, right. coming out pretty soon. But in the meantime, back uh, back to the Superman questions and stuff. Of course, now Doomsday back, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's interesting. So, you know, uh, that that might is, – is that – I mean, God, you've written so much Doomsday and so much of his backstory and right. stuff. And, and is there a mystery to Doomsday – to this Doomsday's backstory – uh, that is different from what we've learned of Doomsday in the past? Well, there's certainly a mystery to it, because what we saw in 957 is that Doomsday was essentially being kept in an office building in Metropolis. And we'll revisit that later. That's going to become a thing. And it's sort of like, who are the guys who removed him from this storage facility, if you will, and were flying away with him when Doomsday just kind of woke up and, you know, took him down and jumped out of this flying ship. So all of that is going to tie in together and become grist for future stories. And I think, you know, what makes this different, as, as I've explained it to people, is that when Superman fought Doomsday the first time, it really was to protect Metropolis. You know, he was there as Metropolis's protector and, you know, more than Metropolis, but that's where the fight ended and that was all about. Superman is going to treat this fight differently because he isn't just fighting for Metropolis. Once you become a parent, he is now fighting for Lois and John as well because that's his other obligation. And that's what we're going to start to explore with Superman now is more this sense of dual obligation where, you know, he feels a sense of responsibility toward his son and his wife in a way that changes once you have a child. But at the same time, he feels that sense of responsibility to the world, and that's part of what makes Superman a hero. And it's a question of how do you handle that? How does that change the fight with Doomsday? And that's part of the story we'll be telling. It's interesting to compare going in that direction for Superman to the direction that uh, happened in the mid-'80s when, when John Byrne revamped the character. They de-aged him a bit. I mean, the, I mean, because I agree with you, I, I, and you and I grew up at the same time, that Bronze Age Superman always was a father figure sort of guy. Yeah. And, and um, 
the but it did work in the eighties when Byrne came in and de-aged him and and you know wiped away Candor and uh, a lot of the old continuity and stuff. Um, and now we find ourselves back to I assume embracing uh, a lot of these tropes and also again because he's the pre-Flashpoint Superman, he has the memory of all these old relationships, which is great and I think it's wonderful subtext as he's reintroduced to these new different uh, parallel universe versions of of the DC heroes because like when when Jeff Johns wrote Infinite Crisis my favorite scene is when the golden age superman is talking to the earth one batman and it's like look I know you don't know me but I know you and you're the one man I've always been able to trust and it was great because I had chills when I read that and yeah. it's like and batman's like all right this guy doesn't you know, I don't know this guy but he clearly seems to know me and it was wonderful and it's going to be fun to kind of play in that kind of sandbox again I imagine I think it is. And the other thing I would add to this is I think there has always been this tendency for DC readers um, to somehow compare and contrast Batman and Superman. That, that, that has been true, I think, as long as those, those two characters have existed. And there is always endless conversation that surrounds that. Once you had Damien enter the picture and you had Batman become a parent, I think that that set it up to work even better for Superman because, in a way, that gives you another chance to compare and contrast <laughs> the lives of Batman and Superman insofar as how it relates to their kids and these two boys. And I think that – I just think there is so much story material there to be to be explored that it's fantastic. And it exists in terms of, you know, Damien and John – and it's going to exist in terms of Bruce and Clark as well, that there's just so much there. It's like, how can we not do this? Yeah, that's going to be a good bar scene of the two of them sit each other. Man, how do you deal with your kid? And, you know, oh, yeah. How, how are you dealing with this? No, absolutely, man. I think that's great. And, again, it's tying not, not only the obvious legacy of father and son, but, again, it's it, that, that and, I, and I clearly see, and this was the promise of DC Rebirth, that, you know, the, the past wasn't going to be abandoned, that it does matter, and that all these relationships do matter. And it does make for a much more richer experience. Because, you know, Bendis had uh, a great quote years ago about it's like, you know, we've seen these guys fight a million times. It's when they have their character moments. That's the opportunity for deep characterization and interesting story. Because that's when you put these guys really at face value as individuals and their distinct personalities can come out and how they both are as many heroes or villains as you want, how they approach any sort of problem from their point of view is going to be different, make for interesting dialogue conflict and character conflict. Well, it really does. And, and I think that is one of the luxuries we have today as writers that that they didn't necessarily have back when you and I grew up reading the books, which is... You know, we can play out some of those character explorations now in ways that they couldn't. And we can get away with an issue where these two guys maybe do just talk for the entire issue, and it can be one of the more fascinating things ever. And what is it about their conversations? What do they say to each other? What would Clark, who has gone out of his way to protect John, to live in secret and make sure no one came in contact with him and try and raise him perhaps almost overprotecting him a little bit. You know, obviously he and Bruce approach parenthood a little differently. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's just that other layer that is added to their characters that I think is wonderful for readers. 
And what about Lois? Because I think from the start of your miniseries, you gave her a very interesting kind of uh, backstory that she very quietly has been still doing in, you know, investigative journalism, which I think is great. And I got to tell you, man, I don't know what the plan is for this Superwoman uh, book that's coming up. And I believe it is a Lois Lane. I don't know which Lois Lane it's going to be. Um, but, man, I just think Lois is so great just being Lois. And I, and I hope that either in your book or in this Superwoman book, Lois Lane just gets to be Lois Lane because I think she's a fascinating character as a human being and, and has that relationship with the DC Universe in the past, but just the, the knowledge. And what, uh, you know, Ruck and I would talk about this. It's what made Clark attracted to Lois in the first place. She's incredibly capable. And I think yeah. in the right hands, you know, I mean, it, I really think women would be very happy with a modern take on Lois Lane in a Lois Lane slow, solo book. And that's, you know, Superman, Superwoman, I'm, I'm, my hands are up. I'm shrugging. I'm like, OK, if it's if it's a good story, that's cool. But I just don't think Lois needs superpowers. She already has one. And that is being an incredible investigator and, and a very interesting character on her own. Right. And I think one of the things people will see as they read the first you know, arc is Lois is in the story. Um, one of the things we wanted to make sure we do is or did is that because it's called Action Comics, is get this big level of action in the book as sure. much as we could. And in the first arc, obviously, we're reintroducing Superman um, to the marketplace in a lot of respects. And so lots of action, and it's pretty hard to have Lois confront Doomsday. Once we get past that first arc, then Lois starts to step forward once much more. And I think we have some pretty good destinations in mind for her. Um, I believe that anybody who read if not my work before, but certainly Lois and Clark, as the as the 8-issue series it was, understands that I'm really devoted to Lois as a character and to making her exactly what you said, that person who can step forward and exist in their own right and carry the book. That's cool. Well, excellent, man. And then I was hoping for that kind of answer. Because, yeah, I just think, you know, again, I, and I'm, I'm, I am, we'll see. I'm, I'm guessing that your books, uh, both yours and Pete's, Will will lead towards whatever this Superwoman book will be, and why why it will be whatever way it is and everything. But yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. But yeah, I miss because that was something that was missing again from the New Fifty Two Lois. We got it for a minute during Flashpoint, and I love the fact that Lois was part of the Resistance and just right. kind of you know tooling around and everything and, and doing her thing. But yeah, I, you know I I don't know. Again, it was I think because those relationships again were separated from the start. That yeah, it it just felt different. I mean, I even feel that way with Marvel and what they're doing with Peter and Mary Jane. It's like, okay, but I just really think you know they don't need even necessarily be need to be married, but they do need to be in each other's lives. And yeah, there has to be some sort of I think intimate relationship. But I'm cool with the marriage with Lois and Clark. That's fine. And it's you guys are showing that you can make it work. Yeah, you know, I think the word that I always use to apply here is context and. I, you know, when you have characters who have always been associated with each other somehow, what that does, it provides context. It provides contact, context for how they do virtually everything else. And, you know, when we launched the New 52, in part because we launched five years into it, we lost that sense of context. And we didn't know how uh, all the characters related to one another. We didn't quite understand how Lewis and Clark related to one another because we never saw that foundational aspect of their relationship. All of a sudden, there they were. 
there at this big new Daily Planet building and that we understood the differences and the attempt to highlight those differences, but we didn't know why. You know, we didn't know what they necessarily meant to each other at that point. We knew they weren't married, you know, and I think that happens all the time. And for people to care about the characters, they have to care about all the characters in a book. And that means the so-called, and I never like to think of characters as secondary characters, but it means everybody, and they have to understand their relationships so that they understand why these characters say and do what they do. Agreed. And no, you know, I mean, the the Superman cast was always very important to the big story. Same thing with the Batman cast, the same thing with the Flash rogues and, and, and cast and everything. And then there are very few heroes that have had such fully realized, uh, again, for lack of a better word, secondary characters. But I mean... You know, you're right. I mean, that's, again, Otto Bender, you know, writing the Jimmy Olsen book and then uh, writing the first few Lois Lane stories and everything. It's like, no, man, we had decades of these characters very capably taking over and being the hero of their own story. And, I, yeah. and, I, and great and fun stories. It's, again, you know, younger uh, buddies of mine that have read some of those 70s Superman family stories and they're like, oh, Jimmy Olsen, Mr. Action. And it's like, yeah, but he got older. I mean, he was he was a cub reporter and a photographer. And as he got older, OK, it was time for him to be a full fledged reporter. And he learned from the best. He learned from Clark and Lois. So it worked. I bought it. You know, I mean, and they weren't they weren't the goofy turtle man stories anymore. They were pretty much Jimmy Olsen going up against inner gang or yeah, some, well, or some equivalent. Yeah, and I certainly remember picking up all of a sudden um, Jimmy Olsen when all of a sudden there was this radical change. And it was a radical change because this guy named Jack Kirby was writing and drawing Jimmy Olsen. Oh, sure. And right from page one, you know, you knew everything was just as different as could be, but all of a sudden Jimmy was a cool dude. And that's what you really latched on to. I'm with you, man. I know. It's ridiculous, but yeah. No, and Kirby made it work. 100%. Yeah, he did. Too funny, man. No, really interesting and very I I well, and also let's uh because is it is it uh Jim White? Is that uh is that uh Clark's name? Their fake name? I know White is their their last name, right? John. No, uh and I think this was explained in Superman 1. They are uh Lois and Clark Smith now. Okay. <laughs> they are the Smiths. And and that is because um, if you go back to what would have happened at the end of Lois and Clark number eight and then into what they were doing with the Superman books concurrent with that, the the white farmhouse was discovered in California as as being where Lois lived and everything else. And that's why they had to leave California. Of course. Yes. And they are now a couple hundred miles north of Metropolis. <laughs> but when they made that move, they changed their name to Clark and Lois Smith. <laughs> I was almost hoping it was going to be Jim White, like uh, that great Silver Age story where Superman loses his memory. And right. He, and he falls in love with the farm girl and everything. We talked about all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I mean, honest to God, some, sometimes we will spend more time talking over various just what do we call a character. When, um, when I first started Lois and Clark, I gave John a dog. And yeah, we yeah. went through so many versions of the dog's name. It was it was mind boggling. And and finally, I said no. You know, they wouldn't call him Crypto. They wouldn't call him anything else because it's John's dog. John would name it. And so finally, we got to Ranger. But it's like 
And then we'll laugh about it. It's like, my God, do you guys believe how much time we spent naming the dog? <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, that's like back when uh, 52 was going on. And I remember Jeff telling me, John's and everything, and he's like, God, we spent like four hours today only talking about Booster Gold. And yeah. I'm like, that's awesome, man. Which, of course, reminds me to ask, I certainly hope with all of this parallel universes and everything that's going on and everything, that you know, Booster's got to be waiting the wings in some fashion. And I... I I'll leave it at that and see if you respond to my Well, what I will always say is the the first really good chance I see to work Booster into a story, obviously I want to take advantage of that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, let's, uh, uh, you know, what can you tell us about Batman Beyond? And, and, And does it dovetail out of the way Future's End ended, because not the happiest ending in Future's End, by the it way. It was not the happiest ending in Future's End. And obviously, in order to make the some of the transitions that we're going to make, we do have to refer a little bit to what happened there. And because, obviously, in Future's End, uh, we saw Terry McGinnis die. And, uh, you know, if you would have seen the last issue of Batman Beyond that came out, Terry McGinnis is back. And so, obviously, that has to be explained and dealt with a little bit. Um, And we try and do that in fairly succinct fashion because I think there is an art to explaining things like that that doesn't have to become the seven-page flashback. So, uh, But, yeah, we're certainly going to be dealing with that moving forward, which will set us up for Batman Beyond Rebirth in September. Excellent. Let me add, on both Future's End and Convergence, can you can you look back at those and say what worked and what didn't work? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I think with Future's End, um, we were in pretty good shape. And and I actually, well, first of all, I still look back on it. It was a great opportunity to work with uh, Keith Giffen, Jeff Lemire, and someone who lives in your neck of the woods. In Brian Azzarello. Absolutely. And and I still think it is a good story that held up well because we tried to do some different things with it. And I look back on it, and I'm actually pretty proud of it. It got complicated a little bit when another weekly was introduced, and we ended up having to reflect some of what was happening there. Uh, got a little unwieldy okay. at times that way. But I think it still holds together for the story that it was, and in part because it didn't end up being the happy ending, which was, for me, you know, a little different. And it was, creatively speaking, rewarding to be able to tell a different type of story like I that. I bet. No, and I and I really enjoyed uh, Tim Drake's role in, in Future's End, and I enjoyed his journey in particular. Um, I have to admit, it did get it got, because of the fact that it was weekly, and as you say, some of the other competition, I'd miss a week, and I felt like I kind of like would dip in and out of the story, and sometimes it was tough to get back in. Yep. So, yeah, we had a big cast. There, there was a lot going on, um, but I think ultimately it all came together at the end, and it did make that level of sense, and I think it did tell a good Terry McKenna story and an even better you know, kind of Tim Drake story, because we saw, you know, I, I have always been fascinated by Tim Drake in that, in a way, he was a tremendously unlikely Robin. You know, he, he kind of, instead of Batman inviting him into the world, he insinuated himself into Batman's world because he figured out Bruce Wayne and Batman were the same guy. Yep. You know, and, and so it was much more here I am, and not only that, but his parents were still alive. So he he was always, to me, an interesting 
Robin because he never really felt like Robin in a lot of ways. So one of the things I played around with a lot is that that makes him the most unlikely one to become Batman. So of course he ends up becoming Batman and <laughs> we've had a, you know, we've had a good lot of fun with that, but yeah, now it's time to get Terry McGinnis back into the suit and back into the book. Agreed. No, absolutely, man. And you know, I liked what Jeff did with, uh, with Tim Drake in teen Titans when they showed a future teen Titans of them as adults and he was Batman with a gun. Right. And I thought that was really interesting. And again, because he is different and isn't, uh, as you know, uh, uh, well, and actually I can't remember if Jack had died before that story or after that, you know, well, obviously chronologically it would have been before that story, but, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it just seemed like for different reasons. Like you said, he became Batman for different reasons, certainly Batman beyond even more different reasons, but yeah, I'm glad to see Terry back because what, again, a very upbeat, positive character and really just what a surprise at how good that cartoon was. And I'm really glad that if I don't even know if any legal, uh, wrangling had to happen to make him be properly part of the comic book universe, but I'm glad he is because I do think that it's a it's a really interesting story, and he is his own man, but has that great uh, you know uh, uh, biological tie to Bruce plus their relationship in in Bruce's older age. No, I think that's that's really fun, interesting ground. Are you? Well, again, it might be telling too much about the story, but I'll ask. I mean, is it? Are, are we going back to the the cartoon era, or is it past that era? Is he adult? An adult? I, I think it's. I think it's going to have to be past that era. I think it's going to be more of a natural segue from what we're doing right now uh, to Batman Rebirth. It will still be Terry, and I think um, part of what is going to be important about making it work is, I think there's a certain spirit of the show that work that we had have to evoke here that if if you think about one of the things that uh, Jim Chadwick is the editor on the book and That's one awesome. of the things that yeah one of the things I keep telling Jim is Terry is a different kind of Batman than Tim is and one of the fun things about Terry is he always had a little bit of Spider-Man in him just in terms of how he would joke and sure. address villains and everything like that well I Tim wasn't like that, so I never did that. But that's got to be part of the book. It's part of the spirit of who that character is and that overall sense of that cartoon, which was a really great show. So, yeah, that's all coming back. Yeah, Terry Terry enjoyed being Batman. I mean, you, you, I, I love that one Justice League uh, cartoon that showed the uh, the biological relationship between him and Bruce. But outside of that and, and what it jeopardized in his uh girlfriend relationship and everything no it seemed like in terms of actually just being batman terry was having a good time kind of in the same way peter does the spider-man yeah and i think that's what's important and and to deal with um your question about convergence yes you know i gotta <laughs> say i i think it's a project that gets uh blasted a little bit too much now at times that i look back on it and some of the individual books that came out as part of the convergence stunt i think really were a lot of fun. I know that certainly I did the Superman one where John was born and everything, yep. and uh, Lee Weeks drew the first part of it, and I drew the second one. We just had a great time with it, and it's sort of like, you know, here you go, folks. Here's classic Superman again. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, and I think some of the other ones, like the Shazam book and everything oh, yeah, else. Oh, yeah, Doc Shaner, great job. Absolutely. Yeah, wasn't that wonderful? Parker, it, yeah. It's like, yeah, there were some real high points there that worked, and I think Part of what happened, however, is by taking off time from all the the regular releases and everything, that it gave people an opportunity to say, okay, 
I'm out. I'm not going to come back and buy whatever book again. Um, but I think if you look at Convergence just for what it was in terms of those satellite-specific character books, I think there were some real nice moments. I agree with you there. Gail Simone's book was excellent. It was fun seeing yeah. Nightwing and uh, and Barbara, you know, finally getting together and uh, and that. Uh, but you know, the event itself though really did kind of. It just seemed like a wild horse that kind of got away from you guys. I don't know. Oh, you mean the um, the main spine? The main, book? Yeah, the main book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I wrote I wrote <laughs> yeah. um, issue zero, and okay. after that, I wasn't involved with it anymore. It it went a few different directions, and I I think you know the one thing I will always tell you is that. For any writer who tackles something like that, which is, you know, that big line-wide type, not that that was quite a crossover, but it came pretty close. Man, when you do that, that can be one of the toughest exercises there is to do in comics. And it really takes a certain amount of magic to make it work and make it work well. I understand it. No, you know, I I appreciate you answering because, dude, we all know everyone's trying to tell the best story they possibly can. And, and, I mean, that is that is the thing that sometimes when we get angry about books and stuff, sometimes fans, we forget that. And it's like, look, you know, but I, but it is. It, sometimes it, it is interesting to look back because how else are you going to learn but, but to look back and say, all right, what worked and what didn't work? What went wrong? And I agree with you. A lot of those satellite books were good. Um, but, yeah, I just think that, yeah, the main event. It's, and also, whatever, it, it seemed like whatever the conclusion was, was still too ambiguous because I think people were expecting what we're now getting with DC Rebirth to come out of Convergence, and it didn't happen that way. And yeah, I think you're, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I think John, that's very fair, and and I know that um, the ending was a point of some debate as it, as they worked through it, and I think that finding the right thing that was going to set DC up after that, all of a sudden it eludes you. And, and part of it is because, you know, the, the trick on all of that was, and oh, by the way, you're picking up the company and moving it from one coast to the next at the exact same time. Sure. And that, more than anything, is what ends up, you know, making it tough to, to make a strong cohesive project that is really going to work for you well again i mean the good thing is that you know i i think uh publishing wide you know the editorial staff said all right we went in the wrong direction let's let's get back and and find a better direction and right now i would say at the beginning of rebirth you know that it that is the case i have to say though a lot of a lot of those post convergence series and i know you wrote a couple of them when we just mentioned obviously batman beyond but i i thought a batmite i thought your batmite uh, story was a lot of fun and it's it's too bad because a lot of that stuff, um, it's I you know I, and I don't know how much we talked about this last year when it was getting started. I think we are in the midst of a different market than what was always traditionally there for so many decades. There have always been other publishers out there to in air quotes compete with DC and Marvel, but really it was always a two horse race. Now because of Image, because of creators making their bones at the two, big two. And then going off and doing their own thing and taking their audience with them. And also, I think there's a new segment of the audience that ultimately they don't give a shit about Spider-Man. They don't give a shit about the Justice League or the X-Men or the Avengers or the Titans or whoever. And, and I think because of that, I do think that there's just a new normal. 
in terms of how much, how many books these are going to sell. Certainly, these number ones are doing great. I just had Tom King on, and he was telling me, you know, that Batman Rebirth number one, three hundred fifty thousand copies, awesome number. Mm-hmm. But when things settle down again, because that, that was the thing. I think last year there was a great idea in terms of experimentation, and there might have been from publishing an expectation of all right, the numbers are going to come back. They didn't. And also, you know, whatever. I mean, again, books need to hit a certain number to continue. We all understand that. But that, I, what do you think? Is is there a new normal, do you think, out there in the comic market? I don't know if we'll ever have a normal because a normal, <laughs> a normal to a certain extent implies a certain level of stability. And the one thing I've learned is that there is always going to be constant change and that the minute I always think that I might have it figured out, there's a twist and something changes in the marketplace. And, you know, if you go back to, you know, what we did with stuff like Batmite, for example, I think the line became a little more disparate at that time. Uh And so for people who really want that sense of cohesion among their books, and notice that I'm talking cohesion, not continuity, but this idea that, these characters all reflect one another somehow, that they inhabit the same universe. I think we kind of lost that. But that is, I think, a core part of what, you know, DC and Marvel readers probably appreciate, that if you're going to show me Popsicle Man in Justice League, that he'll be the same in his own books and, you know, any place else I see him. And we kind of fell down there, and, and that becomes than a weakness, too, especially in, I think, a market like you're describing. Do you think there needs to be an underlying, if not event, but the way that, like, certainly as we start Rebirth, you know, Wally points out, hey, we lost 10 years. Something's going on. We've got to find out what happened here. And it's great to see that it is still an important part of all these books at the at the beginning and stuff. But do you think there needs to be that kind of atmosphere? Or again, is it as simple as, well, Superman is blue this month, so he better be blue in the Justice League and he better be blue in his book? I think it's somewhere in between, to tell you the truth. And you're right that um, it's got to be, you know, if Superman is blue this month, he should be blue in every book across the line. I don't know that we have to go so far as to the point, and this has been done too, where all of a sudden you're filling in perceived blanks between the gutters of a comic that came out three years earlier, uh, because that's going too far. Um, I'll use the word cohesion again, John, which is to say that the universe has to feel like it's intact, unless the point of the story is that it's not intact. But I think it has to feel like these things reflect one another somehow. And that doesn't necessarily mean story matter, but you know, that these characters inhabit the same universe. And and I think that is part of what makes this stuff strong. And that's what gives you the chance to build bigger stories, you know, right around the corner. So it means something when someone crosses over from their own book and shows up in yours because people understand how the characters do or do not relate, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's all very important. How far into the writing are you? Because obviously there's double shipping going on, and you're right. And uh, you know, so yeah, how's how's that working out for you? 
Uh, right now, tomorrow, I will be working on the first draft of the script for nine, Action 965. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, we're done with, so 958 just came out. So uh, 959 and 960 are pretty much done. Uh, 61 and 62 are, are, you know, close to being done. Um, I'm getting wonderful pages from Pat Zercher on 963. So, yeah, it's... You know, obviously, it's it's kind of a uh, – I, I mentioned this to Steve Orlando today where I said to a certain extent it's like driving across the bridge and you can hear the pylons cracking underneath the car and you just want to go fast enough to make sure you get across the bridge before it falls apart. <laughs> well, the, We're actually in pretty good shape. Okay, because, yeah, I yeah. mean – no, honestly, man, I mean, it's I, – I, I get it, and I think it's a great idea, and Dan – really stress the importance of the uh, monthlies and, well, now biweeklies that are happening in everything because um, that, that the periodical still matters, that, that, yeah. that the single issue still matters. And if that's the case, and we really are in this attention deficit society where we do want our stories now and everybody binge watches television and they can't wait for that next thing. So it is great. That we are getting these uh, story, you know, parts as quickly, and that the arcs are wrapping up as as fast as they are. I think that's all good because again, that was a knock that I had with the new Fifty Two. I'm like, man, we spent five years, and the needle didn't move that far. Yeah, you know, so, and the, I think you're right. And one of the things I look at it this way, you know, I'm still a fan of comics. And and I still enjoy reading comics. And so even as I read this stuff now, I enjoy being able to get the, the story faster because I'm an old, old man and I forget stuff. So now if it comes out every two weeks, I'm much more likely to remember what I saw two weeks ago than a month ago. And, yeah, you know, and, and quite honestly, I really mean that, that it stays fresher in my mind. And I find myself genuinely interested in what's happening here. Um, you put Batman on the back of a jet plane, wrestling it to the ground, and introduce, you know, a couple of characters right at the end of the story like that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm ready to read the next one. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, too, because when I talked to Tom, he told me, unfortunately, Skip Weeks will still apply. So, uh, yeah, actually, I don't think we can uh, look for the next chapter until uh, after the 4th of July. I think oh, okay. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I know. I know. Believe me. I'll have to. I'll have to figure out how to handle that somehow. <laughs> who have they announced who your other artists are on the, on the books? Yes, um, we have Pat Zercher on the first two. Then we have uh, Tyler Kirkham coming up for the two after that, Fantastic. and right after him, Stephen Segovia. And those three guys are going to be the core artists on the book. And the plan is, you know, we go two, two, and two. So we get a little bit of continuity, a visual continuity built in that way, and they each still have their own time to, you know, take a break before they have to jump right into the very next issue. That's great, and I'm really glad to hear there are three artists rotating because I think that I do think that's best for this kind of schedule. I mean, even even having just two, I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's going to be tough. So it's it's a bold experiment, and I really do hope it works because again. Good to have the stories faster and wrap up, but uh, yeah, I also don't want to burn you guys out. I mean, I you know is is it's it sounds like it's still fun for you, or at least it's become fun again. Is that a fair way to describe uh, your feelings currently? I think as long as I enjoy 
um, what I'm working on, which I am right now, it's always going to be fun. That if, if you're going to be in a creative field, you have to enjoy it. Yeah. If you don't, you shouldn't be doing it. So, um, yeah, I'm still having a good time. There is a certain level of it sounds corny, but there's a certain level of privilege that comes with writing Superman that is just wonderful. And to be back on action with um, the legacy numbering, as, as we call it now, oh, which yeah. I I really believe in that, I think is is a really fun thing. It's going to be amazing when they cross a thousand detective in action. Absolutely. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, it's like. It's and it's just it's a great testament to the company that it's like, hey, guess what? Since 1938, we've been putting these books out, and that's that's in, and 39 obviously for Detective because I know the nerds are going, uh, excuse me, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's I mean that's the thing. And honestly, I, I was Dean Aspinall and I were just talking about this. It's like I get, oh my God, how do you keep track of that when you trade them and all that stuff? And it's like, well, you know, just just like even if you have to subtitle. Um, you know, Panic in the Sky, one through six, or, or whatever and everything. I mentioned that. Wasn't that one of your stories? Yeah, yeah. Because I see that it was uh, retraded recently. Right. And, you know, and <laughs> and I think to um, – just so we can keep everything consistent here, to go back to being a kid reader again, uh, I really thought when, when I was a kid, you know, you'd see a first issue. All right, this was me anyway. I'll only say it that way. When I'd see a first issue, I'd be kind of skeptical. It's like <laughs> – you know, who is this? I don't know if I'm going to like it. But when you saw um, the 200th issue of something come out sure, or the 300th, it meant something. Or something, boy, if it made it that far, it must be good. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Hell yeah. And I, when I was a kid, I really believed that. I figured, well, anything that lasts 300 issues, my God, that must be good. You know, and <laughs> that meant something. I agree, man. I remember when I think Superman 300 was the first issue I encountered that way. And it was that great future story of if he had come, you know, if the rocket had landed today. Oh, then, yeah. Wonderful story. Yeah. And the and the divers from uh, the U.S. and the Russians are like, you know, going for the going for the spaceship. Who's going to claim it first? Yep. That was good stuff, man. And I can't I, I, I wonder in the back of my head, I haven't had a t- chance to talk to Jeff Johns about it, but for Flashpoint and the direction they took Superman in during the Flashpoint story, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that was even inspired by that idea of what if the you know Kents didn't find the rocket and somebody else did, and certainly if the government found it, and it became a much more darker story in the in the Flashpoint story. I mean, certainly everything was fine back in the, back in the '70s. Still had a yeah, very nice he, life, you know. You know, and, and I think. Um, <laughs> One of the things that DC is that they always had a rich history of was imaginary stories. Yes. And then they kind of twisted that later and they became else worlds to a certain degree. And anytime we do a time travel type of story, we flirt with some of those things somehow. And it's because some of those concepts just work out so well. Do you think they'll go back to that? Because I was, I can't remember what story recently. I was I was telling people like oh give me a break and it might have been Captain America Hydra but it was the same thing of guys you got to understand that you know back in the Silver Age and even in the Bronze Age they would burn through story ideas in eleven pages or at most twenty four pages right and and you know now you've got you know five the five issue story arc so it's like like you said earlier about Cap and Hydra and stuff it's like yeah we just got the first chapter let's see where the story goes but I loved. 
I always loved imaginary stories. I, I you know, Elseworlds got um, there was just too many. I thought, and I don't know who was like greenlighting or whatever, but it just seemed like after a while they they weren't as special as they yeah. used to be and stuff. So, but I would love to see them come back because again, yeah, it's. It's a great opportunity to play with the character and put them in a different circumstance and see what you come up with. Well, I think in, in many ways, for me, the idea of the perfect DC would be uh, the ability to tell virtually any story of any character in any milieu we've ever seen. And, you know, if, if someone wanted... And in a way, that was one of the fun things about Batman 66, which was... Here's a Batman and Robin book that was based on something entirely different, but it's still a Batman and Robin book. And and I just, when that first came out, thoroughly enjoyed that concept of something that existed sort of outside the norm that way. And Absolutely. I think, you know, I think that is, um, that is the legacy and the rich history of D.C. Are, are they list, like if you were to come up with a traditional Superboy story set in Smallville and there's... My Pa Ken at the general store and Chief Parker and everything tooling around Smallville is is someone lit, like is it is it open enough you know for for those kinds of possibilities? I don't know if it would be specifically that way. Um, could I get someone and twist their arm maybe to try and find a way to get close? I don't know. Maybe um, I I do believe that you know that and this is just me talking now. Is I I just see that. You know, you take a company with 70-plus years of publishing history, and there is so much good stuff there and so many little periods of just golden material that I think we ought to be able to find ways to access the better parts of our history that way. Agreed. You know, with the uh, Batman uh, 66 Digital and the Wonder Woman one, I know there wasn't Adventures of Superman, but I really was hoping— that, you know, I had heard rumors that they were toying with the idea of doing something in the George Reeves TV continuity. And I think, again, it would be fun, you know, and uh, with the passing, unfortunately, of guys like Darwin Cook, but we've got guys like Evan Shaner and uh, Chris Somney and some others that I would love to see them, you know, put put Clark back in a fedora and a big blue suit and, you know, just kind of your classic uh, city story and stuff. Because I, I just... I don't know. I, I think that that's fun, you know, and and I think the possibilities are there. Yeah, and I, and I think often that's the kind of thing that works best as, you know, sort of a a one shot or yeah. something like that. Uh, but yeah, I I agree, and and I think there have been times when DC has absolutely tried some things along those lines. I forgot. I, I was going to ask regarding uh, Lois and Clark's change to the Smiths, and that are we going to see? And again, without spoiling. Are we going to see Superman uh, addressing life as in a human identity again? Uh, I mean, we'll see how this Clark Kent story resolves itself and everything. But, you know, yeah, I, well, what can you tell us about any chance of seeing a civilian guised uh, Superman, you know, kind of living the human life? Well, I think right now we're we're really focusing on them as they are, and what complicates it is he can't very well go back to the Daily Planet when there's someone else already named Clark Kent working there. So uh, that's all going to be tied together in how the story plays out. Okay, fair enough. All right, interesting. Because, yeah, man, I, it's like 
oh god if he's not clark kent then who you know <laughs> what happens when he tries it was fun with the beard and i did I, I enjoyed seeing him kind of rough like that and also great to see the black and white costume again or black and silver I, oh yeah that was <laughs> we could not do that <laughs> that's awesome no that was you know honestly i was i was kind of bummed in the 90s that he didn't stick in the in the black and and, and silver costume uh, longer after the uh you know being reborn right and i think what we figured is well, just, you know, what it, it was more like that theory of always leave the stage too early and leave the audience wanting more. And we all enjoyed the black suit and thought, you know, there gives him a certain sense of presence. Yet there was also a certain sense of magic at that point in getting him back into the classic duds as well. Sure, sure. And honestly, I mean, when did the decision happen to be like, all right, you know, the long hair? Because it, it wasn't really a mullet per se. People call no, it, it was not. Thank you. <laughs> no, it really wasn't, and I respect that, man. Absolutely. And and at first, it was kind of interesting seeing with the long hair. But do you remember when? when oh, it was like, I remember it well. And so, that we were all sitting in the room, and we talked about bringing him back. And at that time, you know, it, these were the days of Fabio. Everybody who was cool was kind of sporting the long hair look like that. And we said, okay, and just as a, we'll make him look a little bit different. We'll give him a shaggier mane, longer hair, and everyone's going, yeah, yeah, well. You know, at the time, uh, two of the artists were John Bogdanov and Tom Grummet. Both of those guys had ponytails. And the next thing we knew as pages were coming in where Clark was wearing a ponytail yeah. and the hair got really long. And I never did the ponytail. You can't find a book where I ever drew the ponytail because I always said, look, that character-wise, that's not who he is. He just kind of tuck it in under the collar a little bit, if anything. And so, you know, we were kind of going back and forth that way. And uh, you know, John probably drew Superman with the longest hair. Um, then it was Tom. My Superman still had long hair, but it was more controlled. But it was never a mullet. That's awesome. <laughs> well, God, you know, and God, if you guys had done it today, it would be the man bun or whatever the hell they're calling that, you know, the, that you see guys in the NBA wearing and stuff when they're playing. And it's, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, Clark Clark just wouldn't go there. <laughs> See, that's we're showing our age, unfortunately, Dan. But we I, I are, know. but you know, it's amazing because I um, uh, there was just an interview that came out with Zack Snyder here in the last day or two, and he mentioned something about you know the Justice League movie, and if Superman comes back, well, yeah, he might have to have longer hair, and a bunch of people went apeshit because they <laughs> love that, and you'd be amazed at how many people loved the long-haired Superman. And I'll even, you know, be at a con doing a sketch or something, and they'll say, I want Superman with the long hair. <laughs> I get it. I, well, you know, it's like yep. it's Ben Riley. You know I mean? That's the thing. It's like, you know, at the time, all these you know, people, God, this sucks, this sucks. And now it's like, hey, man, I like Ben Riley. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. That, you, know? you know, I just did a con in Phoenix a couple weeks ago, and I got in a discussion with a bunch of fans that were just based on that because – the the amount of love that I have been exposed to over the past couple of years for Ben Riley just blows my mind um, because you know having worked on that stuff and remembering a lot of the conversation that was taking place at the time obviously there was a secret society of Ben Riley lovers out there that weren't telling us how much they loved it I understand <laughs> yeah they were yeah. the right age or whatever you know I got to be honest Dan I was gone I that's it, and it wasn't specifically the Clone Saga or anything like that, but it really did feel like at that point, I don't know, there was just something that I'm like, and I partially too, I think maybe because I couldn't afford comics because I was in my uh, early 20s. 
sure. uh, your mid-20s and stuff and still just struggling. And it was like, well, I don't know. If, I don't think I can afford the books right now. And, yeah. uh, and it wasn't until 1999 that I really kind of came back to, to reading full time. And so it's been like, you know, 16, 17 years that I've, I've kind of been back reading full time again and stuff. But, yeah, I, 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 so I missed a lot of the drama during the Clone Saga. And, and man, I, I know you guys, I, you know, I can't imagine the amount of Alka-Seltzer you guys probably drank to, to kind of get through some of that stuff. Yeah, there were, there were a lot of different things that get involved in, in something like that. And, um, you know, it just wasn't working out. And part of it was because it's, it's not just Ben Riley. It was, you know, wanting to tell, from my perspective, a certain type of Spider-Man story that just wasn't working out. And, in those days, there was a bigger commitment to, say, uh, Carnage and Venom as Spider-Man villains than, say, there were the classics, whether it was, you know, Vulture or Hobgoblin or Green Goblin or, sure. you know, go down the list. And, and it's just a different philosophy in telling stories. Well, and I felt the same way about Carnage. I wasn't a big Venom fan, and when Carnage came out, I'm like, all right, this is another version of another character that I, that I yeah. already don't like, so I can appreciate that. So. Yeah, and I was in the same spot. Uh, as a writer, wow. uh, the same sort of headspace, and at the same time, man, you you put Venom and Carnage on the cover, you're going to blow out some copies. <laughs> you know, they moved books, and and I certainly respect that in terms of you know publishers have to sell comics. Definitely. How about the TV stuff that's going on right now? What do you think of? Uh, we haven't had a chance to really talk about any of that. I think it, it absolutely blows my mind to be here. You know, about a year and a half ago, I'd sit here and say, you know, we're at the point now where you can turn on the TV on any night of the week and get a comic-related show. Well, now it's like you can get two of them on any night of the week. And it's just, it's remarkable. It's it's fantastic. Um, And you look at it and just go, wow, I never, ever thought I would see us get to this point. No, I hear you, man. No, I I absolutely agree, and I'm I'm really excited for Supergirl to join the CW proper. I think it's only going to make it easier for them to to cross promote and and come up with you know cross uh, show stories that'll you know I, I I mean I don't know we we'll see what happens, and I'm willing to wait till September. But it seems like uh, Flashpoint might spread beyond uh, the Flash so, show, so that'll really be interesting if they, if they go in that direction. And even if they don't, who cares? Because, I mean, we've already gotten a taste of it with the three shows crossing over. Uh, well, yeah. And, and, you know. You know, and certainly last year when we had the Flash Supergirl story, yeah. that was so much fun. Yes. You know, everybody went nuts for that. Well, now you can even get more. So, hey, you know, a little bit more of a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely true. What do you think of the... All right, I'm going to start with all the positive stuff because, you know, I mean... I don't know. Well, well, what the hell? I'll ask you. Batman, Superman, what'd you think? You know, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because uh, the the way I saw it the first time was sitting in Radio City Music Hall. It was it was the premiere. The cast was there and everything else. And uh, I I kind of knew aspects of the story certainly. So okay. I knew you know I knew basically okay here's what it's going to be. Um, and so, you know, I was probably as a consumer pre-sold a little bit. I liked it, you know, and I think I also liked, if we go back to Man of Steel, which came out a couple of years earlier, I liked that. And I, I think because I saw a lot of elements of what I recognize as a Superman that I would write up on the screen. And I think the 
incredible intensity of some of the criticism that Batman versus Superman took was remarkably unreasonable to me. Interesting. Okay. I mean, you know, again, because I, I, I'll admit, I, I didn't care for the movie. I, I, it, it, uh, I just, I, like you said, I didn't see the contrast in the two characters that, that I think are inherent. And also, you know, I, and I'm, I'm a guy who liked Watchmen and Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that I, I really, and we'll see what happens with Justice League, because he is promising more light and humor and everything, but it just seemed like, man, Superman did not have a moment of enjoying Superman, of being Superman. And even in Man of Steel, I, I felt there was, like, opportunities for a, a joyous moment, and it, and they they just weren't part of uh, Zach and, uh, you know, uh, and now I'm blanking, uh, uh, David Goyer's story. I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and I I think that what if I were to guess, I would say they they clearly want to tell the story of a Superman who is searching and trying to find his place in the world, and I think there's a lot of story to be explored there. Um, I think at some point we have to get to that brighter character. I agree with you in terms of the the there could have been more contrast between Superman and Batman. I think that. Batman deciding so quickly and so firmly to kill Superman was more out of character for him than anything we probably saw on Superman. Agreed. But at the same time, there were part of it is when when you see your own story adapted on the screen that way and aspects of what you drew filmed to match some of what you conjured up and drew in the first place. You know, my head I'm sitting in a whole different place when I'm watching it anyway. But at the same time, there was there were magic moments in that movie that I think were very strong. We saw it with Wonder Woman coming on screen. There were some genuinely cool bits, I think, with Bruce Wayne. And like I say, there were good things that happened in that movie. I agree with everything you said because I do think it was a mixed bag and there was a lot of good things in it. And also, I, yeah, I can appreciate your perspective, too, of seeing your creation come to film life and everything. I just I just felt like they shoved too much in the bag for this movie. And further, um, and it, I point to your guys' uh, portrayal of Luther currently, um, Luther just seemed like a 66 Batman villain and didn't really... I, I And again, shame on me for rewriting their story, but I really think Jeff, and you guys are doing it right now with your characterization, but the, that you guys have all nailed it in that he's kind of a, a Steve Jobs... With a very dark agenda, a very dark egotistical agenda, but I think he could present a very positive public uh, persona of being like, "Hey, I am here to bring the human human race to the next level." And look at the gifts that I am giving you and stuff, and still have that xenophobic. How do we trust this alien? And I also was hoping to see, uh, let's call back Brian Azzarello in his Man of Steel story uh, that he did, where Bruce and Lex have this. Uh, you know, uh, conversation, lunch conversation. And I was really expecting a kind of like human to human kind of thing of, Bruce, how do we trust this guy? I mean, mm-hmm. we, you know, and, and, and putting that seed of doubt in Batman more than, well, I got to kill him. You know, it just, you know, I, I, so those are my rewriting two cents. And it's an easy, right. easy, and, and easy I for a fanboy to do that. But go ahead. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and, but we all do that. And, and to me, the one thing that I probably would have done. A little differently, and this is terribly unfair of me to say, but hey, people do it about my stories too. It's kind of what we live with: is <laughs> to have made Luthor more manipulative 
and where he could have played both Superman and Batman more like chess pieces and, sure. and been more clever about manipulating them into a battle somehow. And I think that would have made Luthor seem a little more diabolical and, and a little more genius level. And at the same time, taken some of the responsibility away from Batman in terms of really needing to kill Superman. And part of it is because I never liked the depiction of Superman in Dark Knight in print when, when it first came out, because basically Superman was a nothing more than a stooge of Ronald Reagan's. That's true. Interesting. I liked yeah. it. Well, I liked it because I always felt like, all right, these are the rules that were you know, being given in terms of how to operate, so I'll do what I can. But, yeah, I mean, it was – you're right, but I, I forgave Superman a little bit more in that original story and stuff. Well, it was a great story. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from oh, it, sure. but I do, remember, I do remember reading it and kind of going, yeah, it's not my Superman. <laughs> I can, well, and I understand that, too. And then even further with, uh, you know, the uh, all-star Batman Superman. And every time – every time uh, – Frank plays with Superman and stuff, and that's okay. I kind of, again, these characters, and I'm, I'm sure we've had this conversation before, they are so much stronger than fans realize. And that yeah. even they can, they can survive the worst story and with the best intentions, or you can do Elseworlds and other things with them, and that's what makes them fantastic. Take a, Have a different take. All the different iterations of Batman over the years. And, yeah, sometimes it is interesting to hand Superman off to a creator that has a different point of view. I mean, honestly, I, I, I was one of those people that said, I just don't think Zack Snyder likes Superman. I mean, and that was my kind of take from the movie. But, again, we'll see what happens in this next Justice League movie. And Frank Miller, again, I... I I don't I, I, I don't know what he thinks of Superman, really. I haven't really heard him sit down and, and kind of give his full explanation of how he feels about Superman. No, and, and I don't know. I, I think that there is a tremendous amount of pressure out there, and I don't mean applied to him. I, I mean, this is just something that I always feel, because one of the things that is very common if I'm giving an interview um, to someone in the general press, about Superman, you always get this question or some variation of it, John, which is, how is Superman relevant today? Yes. You know, that yeah. you oh, get I've it all it. the time. Sure. And, and I think because that question is often asked, that there are those who feel that, well, then he must not be, therefore we have to make changes. Um, my standard take on it really is, well, if you're telling me that Superman is not relevant because the world has become a harsher place, um, because we are all more cynical, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's commentary on us, not on Superman. And I think, you know, in many ways I always say Batman is who he is and Superman is who we aspire to be or should aspire to be. And, and I think that there's always that subtext with that character. And I think I've seen writers handle it in comics and say, well, I've got to make Superman more relevant somehow and move him this way. And, I'm not saying that's what happened in the movies, but, you know, I remember, you know, virtually any time a Superman movie is out there, we read that in reviews. Sure. No, I agree. And again, and I and I hear that question a lot as well, and it's like in terms of his relevance. And no, I, you know, there's certain people that get Superman, both readers and, and creators for that matter. Because I know creators that have said, I never want to write Superman. I don't know how to approach it, which I find interesting given his – length of time as being on the stage and everything and you'd think there's plenty of example of great examples of superman stories that people should get it 
But yeah, maybe in terms of wrapping their heads around it and trying to tell a new story, some people can't. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. But we're as as writers, we're all like that. There are writers that I am always going to be able to, for whatever reason, write better than others. That that's a that's a very common thing. Do you you're, are you willing to name any heroes or villains that you're like, yeah, I still don't get that guy or girl. Oh well, you know it's funny because when I thought that um, I might never be able to do real well was Thor, and yet you ultimately I think Thor, I found yeah. out I figured out a pretty good way to do it. But Marvel had actually offered me Thor long before I ever said yes, and it and I just said no. I gosh I I don't know what I'd do with it. I was going to say well, what was keeping know. yeah what was keeping you from it, and what was the aha moment. It was really not knowing what I would do with it. And, and sometimes um, that'll happen. There will be, you know, you'll get the call and someone will offer you a book or a character somehow. And you, you sit and think about it a while because uh, I very rarely say yes right away. Okay, let me think about what I would do with that. And um, you kind of go through that exercise and just say, no, I just, you know, I, I'm not the right guy. This is not the right time, you know, whatever. Um, but then as a creator, you change. And, and as you change, it opens up other doors of thought. And so all of a sudden, whereas you might have thought at one time you weren't the person, then you could start to see the possibilities. I get it. That's awesome, man. Dude, this is great. Oh, and wait, I wanted to ask about Marvel movies and stuff, because sometimes I do forget how much of a Marvel creator you've been in the years, and you've, you've played with them all and had excellent runs on a lot of them. So what, you know, what are your thoughts on the current run of Marvel movies? Uh, it's, it's amazing, and, and I think that um, you know, Captain America Civil War was obviously a lot of fun. The, mm. the moments when Spider-Man was on screen I thought were just you know, absolute magic, and to me, I think what I'm most impressed by is the ability to take and make a great, fun Ant-Man movie and a great, fun Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And, oh, yeah. and that's that's what I really enjoy more is just being able to see those things where – like when I was a kid, I liked Guardians of the Galaxy. I was intrigued by Ant-Man. But to see it work to the level it has, I mean, that's spectacular. <laughs> Absolutely. Were you one of those people, too, when they announced Guardians of the Galaxy? It's like, really? Is yeah, that, oh, yeah. Is that a good idea? <laughs> Are you guys going to screw the pooch with this one? That's, I don't know, man. Well, it's just like, you know, I, I always think of it this way. And that is, you know, okay – how did that pitch session go? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and and be, obviously not every movie is put together that way, but, uh, you know, like for Wally, when that came out, sure. I, I was kind of like that with that one, which is how did they sell the concept of a movie for a character that would never talk? Yeah. You know, yeah. that was going to be emotive. We would see him experience some sense of emotion, but never ever really speak or anything how did you sell that as a concept how did you you know i get enthralled by how did you explain to that someone and sell that idea because it makes you want to know so that you could do it yourself one day because we've all sat there and said you know okay this is going to be tough hang with me just a little bit and let me get through the first five minutes which is basically you know honest to god john that's how i sold loser gold which is when when I first was pitching that, uh, I was sitting with Dick Giordano, and I said, okay, this is going to take a couple of minutes. Just hang with me. 
And, and sometimes you have to do that. Well, and it turned out great. Now, yeah. now, now, now great example. You create Booster Gold. Are there some creator-owned ideas still rattling around in your head that you'd like to pursue at some point? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I always keep saying that I'll get to them at some point, but certainly no more and more. It's getting to be closer to the time when I have to do that somehow, yes. Okay. Okay, yeah, because honestly, man, I mean, you know, when, when you got in the biz – getting to where you are at for a writer this was the pinnacle and this was the you know top of the mountain in terms of you know getting a getting a great job at dc or marvel and you know being able to continue to churn out stories and stuff and you know and now and now it's like well yeah but i can kind of create my own world as well yeah you and know? you know i've been fortunate in that um I get to do stuff I genuinely want to do, and I've gotten to do just about everything I've wanted to do, cool. except that's the one avenue I haven't really explored. Part of that is because, you know, even doing um, a couple of long runs on Booster Gold, you sort of feel like you're doing it, even though the character is owned by, by DC. But, you know, obviously it's still the one thing around the corner that I have left on the, uh, left on the bucket list. All right, good deal. Well, there's still plenty of time. Oh yeah, you know, I, that, yeah, good. All right, <laughs> I'm glad that's I'm glad that's in your mind. And I, and dude, honestly, this has been a great conversation. We we're close to ninety minutes, so I'm gonna I'll I'll let you uh, go. Um, okay. But as always, thank you because you've got that uh, unique uh, point of view of what's happened before and what's currently happening now. And I and I appreciate you sharing uh, these kind of candid thoughts with me as always. So thanks, dude. My pleasure, John. Always always fun. I will leave it there. That was excellent. That was great. Okay. Man. Very good. No, I really appreciate it. I'm going to put it out at the beginning of uh, next week. Okay, sounds good. So where am I going to see you next? San Diego? Yes, I will be okay. at, at Comic-Con, definitely. Uh, trying to think. I'll do Wizard Chicago uh, Backyard. Oh, and I'm doing, um, I don't know if uh, they've ever invited you, but I'm doing Cincy Comic-Con. That's Tony Moore's show. There, okay, which one is, there's there's like one that's in Cincinnati, and then isn't there one that's right across the border in Kentucky someplace? Yes, that's the Tony Moore show is the Kentucky show. Okay, when yeah. is that? It's, oh God, let's see. I know it's, you know, it's ridiculous. They are like really close to each other in terms of right. timing. Um, it's September. Okay. And I can't remember specifically when in September. But it's, that's the one that's called Cincy Comic Con is, that's Tony Moore's show in Kentucky. And then the Cincinnati Comic Expo is the one that's in Cincinnati proper. And, uh, yeah, Tony asked me from day one to come. And then he's like, hey, uh, if you want, you can moderate most of the panels, and I'll fly you out, and I'll put you up. And I'm like, well, it's a, you know, literally the only convention that offers to fly me out and put me up. So I'm wow, like, okay. you know, everybody else, I'm on my own dime. So You know, it. there are so many shows now. It, yeah. It's impossible to keep straight. And we had... A point here just um i think can't remember was this past weekend or the weekend before where you had basically three yeah. major shows going on at once it might have been your phoenix weekend or whatever or no denver denver uh yeah it was the next one it was it was uh denver las vegas and kansas city i think could be but i also know even either this past weekend or two weekends ago there i think there was dc and and uh i forget what else yeah, and no, I mean, especially as it gets warmer and stuff. No, it's nuts. It is. And it, you know, it really is. And um, you know, it's it's harder and harder to keep them straight and to to negotiate just the calendar in terms of being able to get there. Because the other thing is, you know, and you'll remember this. 
the only shows that ever went beyond two days were San Diego and Chicago. Yep. That was it. Yep. Nothing else. Well, now more and more of them, um, you know, even when I did Phoenix, that's that's on Thursday. Yeah, I know. Oh. And, and so many of them are doing that now, and I know that uh, I've been joking with the Baltimore guys because, of course, they went to Fridays as well here two, two years ago, I think it was. So, you know, now everything is just there are more shows, and they're all more days. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, and yeah. obviously, I know it cuts into your work time and everything. And no, that's ish. I hear you, man. Yep. So. Okay. Well, dude, thank well, you. We'll probably see you out in San Diego then. Yeah, absolutely. In a couple of weeks, I look forward to it, dude. Sounds good, John. Thanks again, man. And I will, uh, I will email you when this is up. There you go. Okay, Some interesting mysteries happening in the Take Superman care. books, Goodbye. and Bye-bye. Dan Jurgens is on top of them. Uh, looking forward to those, and also uh, him coming back to Batman Beyond and uh, figuring out the mysteries behind Terry McGinnis's return and uh, lots of other neat stuff coming from Dan Jurgens in the months ahead. Can't wait. Hope to see him soon at a convention, and I can uh, clap him on the back and tell him how great of a job he's doing. But uh, nice conversation, and I'm glad you could join us for it. Uh, that's for the uh, travel uh, music as you're uh, heading to wherever your holiday destinations are this weekend. For the trip back on Sunday, I'm going to have another word balloon for you, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. It's uh, going to be an excellent conversation with Judd Winnick, and uh, great to welcome Judd back. And we are just kicking back and having another fun, freewheeling conversation, kind of in the same tone that Dan and I had on this one. But really hope you enjoyed today's word balloon. All brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com where tremendous deals are happening, not just on Dan Jurgens' product, but also a lot of other things going on at in-stock trades. How about the Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu Omnibus? Volume 1 is 45% off, just $68.75. That's a hell of a deal at InStockTrades.com. You can also find things like the Batman Robin Eternal Trade Paperback Volume 2. The weekly story has been collected. James Tynan and Scott Snyder and Tony Daniel. A tremendous book and a tremendous deal. Volume 2 is 50% off. It's just $17.49. Also this week from In Stock Trades, you can get Green Arrow, a celebration of 75 years. Uh, Mort Weisinger, George Papp. Uh, so many other great uh, creators involved in this excellent trade of Green Arrow stories going back to the beginning. 50% off, it's just $19.99. Uh, lots of 75th anniversary uh, celebrations happening these days. There's an artist edition from IDW, The Best of DC War. Robert Kaniger is the writer, but uh, you've got uh, Joe Kubert, and you've got uh, John Severin, and Russ Heath, and Jack Kirby, and Alex Toth. So many others, great collection. Uh, it is uh, at full price, but um, fair and fair enough because these artist editions are giant, uh, amazing collections. It's $100 at InStockTrades.com. Bendis and Oming have uh, Powers uh, Volume 1, all the new powers. It's uh, the reboot, and uh, let's see, 45% off, $13.74 for that. You also get, uh, what else? How about uh, Jughead? From uh, Erica Henderson drawing and Chip Zdarsky doing the writing, trade paperback volume one from Archie. It's uh, 30% off, just $13.99. Jupiter's Circle. I like Jupiter's Circle actually better than Jupiter's Legacy because I really enjoy reading about uh, these uh, characters that were created during the Golden Age and were kind of getting their Silver Age adventures. And it's kind of dirty, but it's, it's good. It's Mark Miller and Wilfredo Torres. Uh, man, I really enjoyed this uh, second volume. 
Uh, Chris Sprouse also handling covers. 42% off, just $9.85. You can get uh, Ms. Marvel. Uh, it's still kicking ass. Uh, uh, G. Willow Wilson. And um, let's see. I'm just trying to see who else is on it. Cliff Chang, a bunch of others, but Cliff Chang cover, I see that. John Paul Leone uh, helping out as well on the art chores. Uh, 45% off, $9.89. There is the Infinity Entity, Jim Starlin and Alan Davis. This goes back to uh, some great uh, Infinity comics. Uh, great Marvel Cosmic in the hands of uh, the men that can do it the best. Jim Starlin and Alan Davis, 45% off, $8.24 at InStockTrades.com. Just the tip of the iceberg. You're going to find a whole lot more. Check it out. Great stuff is waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Thanks a lot for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you very much for your support on uh, the social media world and uh, you know, just uh, downloading the show and telling me how much you like it through emails. If you want to email me, it's john at wordballoon.com. Follow me at Twitter under at John Word Balloon, and you might get into an argument with me or follow me on Facebook and you can agree or disagree with me. But uh, I, uh, I appreciate your feedback and uh, I look forward to the conversations. Uh, so please uh, feel free. Also, um, there's something new at wordballoon.com and it may not be handy if you listen to the show on a tablet or on a phone, but uh, SpeakPipe, and I don't know if you ever heard of that, but if you want to leave me a voicemail, because I, I like hearing and playing back uh, audience feedback, and I've got the Word Balloon hotline as well. So there's two different ways for you to leave audio feedback at Word Balloon, and I urge you to take advantage of that. And you can tell me I'm full of shit, or you can tell me you agree or you disagree or whatever you want. It's okay, uh, as long as it doesn't get too nasty. And, you know, it doesn't revolve any racial epithets or anything like that. Leave the Greeks alone. That's my people. I'll, I'll, I'll shit on the Greeks enough on my own. Thank you. But, uh, no, if, honestly, uh, always interested on your, in your point of view on the things that we bring up here on Word Balloon. And if you want to add to the conversation, I, I'm more than happy to uh, have that come on the air. And uh, you can uh, be heard here uh, for the entire Word Balloon audience. So take advantage of that. Go to wordballoon.com. And right on the front page, it says leave voicemail. There's a tab in the upper left-hand corner. That's how you access SpeakPipe, and I look forward to your feedback. So uh, keep listening, because in just a couple days, we'll have another uh, 4th of July holiday weekend uh, episode of Word Balloon for your trip home, and then back to business after the 5th. Great people are waiting in the bullpen and can't wait to uh, have you listen to them about their uh, current uh, books and uh, why you should be buying them. And I'm happy to bring you that information every week right here on Word Balloon. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.